Welcome to season four of Knowledge Cast by Ideals. We are excited about this season's guest, and you can learn more about our guests in this new season and previous seasons at jatwwilliams.com/podcast. Did you know Jat is an author too? You can learn more from Jat through his book called The Question, a guide to answering life's most important question as he shares his personal journey that began in 1993 to determine the values, principles, and beliefs that would guide all aspects of his life. You can learn more about The Question on Jat's website too at jatwwilliams.com. Now let's listen to an all new episode of Knowledge Cast by Ideals. Welcome to our fourth season of Knowledge Cast. If you're a regular listener, we're certainly glad to have you back with us again. And if you're a first time listener, welcome. And we hope that you enjoy today's podcast and will join us again next week. Well, today's guest is Alex Williams. Uh, Alex is a proud graduate of the University of Mississippi with a degree in public policy leadership and two minors in history and intelligence and security studies. His career has spanned into economic development, legislative affairs, and political campaigns. He currently is the Director of Workforce for Rome and Floyd County uh, Chamber of Commerce. And Alex has been involved in multiple campaigns at the Governor, Attorney General, and U.S. Senate levels. So, Alex, we're, we're glad to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I, I've got to start by, by getting you to explain in more detail one of your degrees there. I can clearly understand the, the public policy leadership in history, but I've never seen a degree in intelligence and security studies. What, what did that involve and what got you interested in that? So um, that minor program is at the University of Mississippi, and I kind of discovered it uh, just by chance talking to uh, one of my friends who was a dating girl at the time. And she said she was she was a Chinese major but she was an intelligence and security studies minor. I was like, what is that? And it just piqued my interest. Um, and I dove a little bit deeper and ended up uh, having to apply into the program. And it was a fairly new program, um, all to do with uh, the intelligence community. So teaching you um, to think and analyze certain situations um we had a lot of different our our classes happened to be all at nighttime uh, which was another interesting aspect because of everyone's uh schedule we had accounting majors we had chemistry majors we had arabic and chinese and russian uh majors and i was probably i was the only uh public policy uh major in the in the program and in the cohort and um we all had an interesting field uh or area or sector we would study and write directors uh we call them dwbs which are directors we weekly briefings that we had to get to the our uh, department chair or professor uh every single week um on our area in addition to actually our classes so we did a lot of different things um days of intrigue which was kind of like one of those big spy days with other competing schools we would go up to dc a few times uh, FBI, DIA, CIA, I mean, we basically were uh, on the path and career to go into the intelligence community and the State Department as well. Um, but that kind of took, and I was on that path after graduation, but everyone has to fill out their paperwork, their um, SI-89 or SI, I forget all the 
different number forms for your security clearance. And I was right. waiting on that and um, politics called, <laughs> called me and I kind of went off uh, and charted a little bit different of a path. Well, that's uh, boy, that, that is an intriguing area mm-hmm. of study. We're going to have a uh, member of the FBI actually is going to be one of our guests in this season. I'm looking forward to speaking to him. Well, I want to spend most of our time today talking about your involvement in the numerous uh, political campaigns. We're taping this, uh, right after the midterm elections here in Georgia and the runoffs have concluded. And we're not going to get into anything juicy or confidential, but just want to let people learn a little bit more about how these campaigns really operate. You uh, you worked in the campaign for Governor Bryant in Mississippi, for Senator John, uh, Johnny Isaacson in Georgia, Chris Carr, the Attorney General in Georgia, and in Herschel Walker's primary campaign for the Senate in Georgia. Tell us how you got into working into this uh a world of political campaigns and walk us through the kind of the order of the campaigns, uh, the different clients, uh, candidates that you worked in. What was the order that you progressed? So um, in terms of getting involved in campaigns, it's all about showing up and knowing people and building relationships. Um, so when I was a senior at Ole Miss, I, it was 2016 campaigns were be presidential were beginning to start. And I said, I'm going to be a nobody on a presidential campaign, but maybe I can be a somebody on a U.S. Senate campaign. And I had interned in D.C. for Senator Isaacson um, the previous summer. And I found out who his and had met who the campaign manager was going to be for his reelection campaign. And I probably sent email after email after email for about five or six months, well before the campaign was going to start rolling. And sure enough, I bothered him so much that he said, why don't you just come in to our office? We have all of two people. It's a fundraising team and myself, and we've got a list. And why don't you just start making some grassroots phone calls? And so I did that in basically a closet for three and a half months until <laughs> I, and, and opportunity after opportunity presented itself where then I became, I remember, uh, you know, 22 fresh out of college. And they said, Hey, Senator Marco Rubio is in town with Senator Isaacson. Uh, can you pick up Johnny and drive him to the event? And that was like the first test kind of thing. And then all of a sudden I'm now Senator Isaacson's driver. And oh, from um, the closet to the driver. Okay. And then things started progressing even further and traveling around the state, going to events. And I, from grassroots coordinator, became the political director. Um, but it was always being there, showing up and, and doing the multiple tasks at hand. And every single campaign kind of operates a little bit different based off leadership, consultant strategy, messaging. Um, it goes on and on. And, um, uh, we ended up winning that race and out, outperforming actually Donald Trump in 2016 uh, and, and winning by a, wi- a wide margin. But I've I've been I've seen it from campaign starting to uh, I was I was in the room um, <laughs> when Governor Bryan had to appoint uh, the next United States Senator for Mississippi when Thad Cochran resigned. So um, getting to see that process uh, work itself. Um, with a lot of people, you know, every single one, uh, every single person wants to be United States Senator when there's an open appointment. And that whole process working itself out was uh, pretty fascinating to 
um, see firsthand when I was aide de camp to the governor of the state of Mississippi. So um, in regards to how campaigns really operate, it uh, it, it depends on the consultants, um, what the mission is. I mean, you have an entire staff um, of, of dedicated, uh, you know, just from the ground game, grassroots, dial for dollars, you got fundraising on this side. Um, you got comms directors talking to the press, press releases, event, logistics coordination. So it's it's a lot going on and how you methodically manage and strategize where you're going to go on the campaign trail, who you're going to meet, what groups are you going to be in front of um, is a little bit different based off uh, polling, you know, what the voters care about, number one, and figure out that. And, and that kind of develops into messaging and and um, and kind of so on and so forth and being a collaborative team. So there are a lot of different ways um, each campaign I've been on has been structured. Um, I look at Attorney General Chris Carr, you know, he wanted obviously the Attorney General of the state. So he needs to get around and meet every single sheriff and judge um, law enforcement officials um, and, and understand those and, and attorneys as well um, for fundraising. So uh, that understanding, getting, building out those groups and those coalitions, and then, you know, reaching out uh, to farmers and educators. And as you start building multiple uh, groups of, of people to corral around a candidate, um, and then momentum comes and, um, you, you know, everything from elected officials jumping on board. So it's, um, it's an interesting process and you got to have good leadership at the top, a good candidate, a great, a really good campaign manager, um, to be able to, uh, work around. You never know what news may pop up or decision might change on a split second. Or I remember one day jumping in a, in a motorcade <laughs> and just going <laughs> and, um, and, and you're, you know, going, you know, when we were the governor, we could go a little bit faster than the speed limit, but, um, you know, it's just every single day was different, which is the unique and, and really, uh, fun, fun, fun aspect about the job, traveling around the state, um, meeting people and not knowing what you're going to really be getting into the next day. Well, you mentioned you had some some interesting things occur when you were on Governor Bryant's campaign staff mm -hmm. in Mississippi. Um, share some of those with us. You know, um, so he was governor during the Trump administration, and um, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, many cabinet members uh, from the administration that came down from, uh, to Mississippi. So Secretary of HUD, uh, Ben Carson, um, prior uh the first uh head of the epa scott pruitt before he got fired um ryan zinke secretary of the interior um uh secretary ross uh who is the commerce secretary and uh that's that's that was probably one of every i had an an interesting experience uh firsthand with some of these high level cabinet members um i think the the funniest one was secretary ross where um, he stayed in the governor's mansion in Mississippi for the evening and was in town for an opportunity zone um, summit and also doing some stuff with FirstNet, which was a telecommunications aspect uh, as part of um, the Commerce Department, Department of Commerce. But 
he uh, the the governor's mansion, Mississippi, is the second oldest governor's mansion in the country behind the Commonwealth of Virginia. So it's got a pretty rich history. Uh, Justice Scalia spent the night there. Bill Clinton, before he became president, spent the night there. So um, adding uh, Wilbur Ross to that list uh, was pretty interesting. And we did not go to bed because there's a man cave <laughs> attached to the governor's mansion until uh, <laughs> pretty late at night the evening before. And so I uh, woke up really early, actually, um, to get to the governor's mansion just in case the secretary woke up. And, you know, I didn't want the lights to be off and and no one to really be home except for the first lady and the governor. So um, I remember uh, at about 545 in the morning making our security detail aware that we needed to find the Wall Street Journal in Jackson, Mississippi, for the Secretary of Commerce, because he likes to read. I found out um, just that late that evening from his aides that he likes to read the Wall Street Journal and New York Times every single morning with the paper copy. So <laughs> that was a tall task of trying to get that. I bet that was. Um, to him. <laughs> and and uh, and sure enough, he came down the elevator of the mansion right at 630. Um, hoping for someone to be there. And I just happened to be there. And uh, first thing he asked was for the paper and thank goodness I knew uh, to get it to him. So um, never know, you never know the value of that little bit of intelligence that uh, mm -hmm. comes out uh, that has value to that, uh, to that individual. And that, that certainly that moment helped me because a couple months later we were out in uh, Los Angeles at the Milken Institute event um, with a lot of important people in all sectors and the, the commerce secretary was actually out there and we needed to have a meeting with him about an issue in Mississippi. And you typically have to set that up through schedulers and a bureaucratic process through DC. And, uh, I was able to schedule a meeting with the commerce secretary and all of, uh, an hour and a half, uh, beforehand with wow. his aide in the, in, in a, in a hotel room in the Beverly Hills Hilton. So, um, <laughs> That's quite a, that's quite a feat there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you you uh, you know you alluded to your time with uh, Senator Isaacson, and you know he's one of the uh, more well respected guys across the aisles there. What is there anything that you learned about him um, as a person just in working with him on that campaign? Uh, yeah, a lot. I learned, uh, I got to, to be around Senator Isaacson a lot, driving him and um, talk about a, just a great uh, person in general, um, kind, uh, extremely intelligent. And he always uh, had this mantra that the staff can can always say, you know, there's no such thing as, as the, the enemy and, and other bad people. There's only friends and future friends. And he carried that with him wherever he went, whether it was a constituent that was upset with him about something um, or, or, or anything else for that matter. And um, he was he was always took the time um, to speak to people to learn the issues. Um, he never really had to have a, a speech prepared for him as long as he was able to study the, the said topic and know it, he would walk out there, no notes or anything, and just be able to give the most eloquent speech possible. I mean, he, he was brilliant in terms of intelligence and just just a humble, hardworking uh, person in general and, and the United States senator and, and certainly 
uh, a statesman that we miss having in Georgia. That's uh, that doesn't surprise me. I've just heard so many great things about him. I love that friends and future friends. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that uh, uh, in in an article here in the near future, I believe. Well, you were very active in Herschel Walker's primary election campaign for the Senate, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're taping this after the runoff is concluded, and you were not part of of the, the campaign, um, the final campaign. Um, did it feel odd sitting on the sidelines in one of the highest profile Senate campaigns in the country after being so involved in the in the primary? You know, it did um, because I'm not the type of person to want to um, step back or, or, or quit anything and not finish uh, the job. But um, I'll be honest with you. We were a, we were a thin campaign at the beginning and I was running around the state and I, I didn't live in Atlanta. I, I live in Rome, Georgia. So um, there were a lot of late nights driving back, um, <laughs> back home to see my wife and who I hadn't seen in many days. And uh, it certainly took a toll on me. Um, so I wish um, that I could have stayed through. Um, but with like any campaign, times change, things change, and 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 their time moves on as and things change. So there wasn't, um, you know, uh, it was very interesting at the very beginning of the campaign, um, the excitement, the possibility. I think so many people had not gotten over the previous election. And now we had, you know, the first midterms in a post-Trump era. What would that look like? Um, is Georgia a purple state? Is it a red state? Uh, is it, you know, what situations there? So initially, um, right at the beginning, we had very few people on the campaign. And it was just a go, go, go movement, a lot of energy. Um, in addition to that, Georgia football was having a great season. Um, so that that certainly helped our campaign, um, I think, into the later half of 2021. Uh, moving into uh, 2022, um, but it's it certainly was difficult sitting on the sideline um, for the general. You know, there were, you know hindsight's always 2020, and what could they have done? Messaging here, raising money there, or why do they go to this part of Georgia and not that? There's always those questions in any campaign. But um, I will say my time spent getting to know Herschel as a person, very genuine nice uh a person and i enjoyed working uh with the rest of the team as well on the did, campaign did you ever think that there would be a uh senate seat or, or any political seat other than president that would have 400 million dollars invested in it between the two candidates you know it's 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 really crazy um to see how expensive these races uh become and 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 truth of the matter is the old way of, you know, Republicans used to just either dial for dollars or send out mailers hoping to receive checks back in the mail or over. Um, the Democrats have really found a unique way, more so than the Republicans, of tapping into donors, getting a lot of small dollar donors from all over in very unique uh, ways that that certain, uh, I think Republicans haven't, certain Republicans haven't been able to, um, to get. And I think there's a younger um, 
Democrat voter out there that's going to give more than a younger conservative voter. Um, but it's, I mean, the California dollars, the New York dollars, um, they're real. They're, <laughs> it's, it amazes me. Being just like people, the others, don't they? Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. How many people from all over the country um, uh, are, are giving in uh, to this race and, and to these, uh, and especially to Democrat candidates. I think something like 86% of Raphael Warnock's uh, money came from out of state. Um, and I think came ex- exclusively from California and New York. So, um, yeah, I would love to see somehow I don't, it won't ever happen, but that uh, funding for these campaigns, regardless of whether it's Democratic or Republican, would be uh, restricted to the state in which they are running uh, instead of being influenced by uh, national politics. But like I say, that, that's probably not going to happen. You know, it seems to me, and I'm an outsider, like the validity of, of the pre-election polls has kind of been under more scrutiny in the last couple of elections. Do, do the political campaigns, do they still, um, how do they use this information and is it taken as seriously as it used to be taken in years past? You know, polling um, is different and, and polling candidates versus polling issues are two totally uh, different things as well. Um, you know, you used to only get in, in back to 2016, you wanted a poll that had the average, you know, you have cell phones and landlines uh-huh. and, you know, a, a good poll would have about 70% or more landline use. Well, today, not many people have landlines. Right. So the cell phone use, uh, is, is it reliable? Is it truthful? And getting them through the process of asking all these poll questions before somebody hanging up the phone. Um, and I know certain polls are done just via texting now. Um, so, so how accurate are they? What is the, um, the pool, the amount of people that they actually reach out to? I think the, their, you know, any poll that has a margin of error, uh, above three and a half percent is really not a good poll at all. Um, so that's something to look at and then to see, you know, who they ask, do they ask the, a certain amount of, of Republicans, a certain amount of Democrats, independents, women, men, percentage like that. Um, it can be tricky. And, uh, you know, the polling was way off this time around in the midterms. Um, you know, we knew the issues were the economy, inflation and other stuff. But um, the Senate races around the country looked totally different than the governor's races around the country. Um, you know, everyone thought it was going to be a landslide victory for Republicans in the Senate, the House, um, across the board. And they gained a few seats and took back the House and the, um, the Republicans did. But you lose the Senate. So polling, you know, if people cared about inflation and the economy, um, the southern border uh, and a few other things, they didn't vote that way uh, when it came uh, to getting in the, um, the the precinct and the ballot box. You know, I think they saw R and they saw D and they made up their mind without thinking about the issues half the time. So polling is uh, it's interesting. And uh, there are re- very good pollsters out there. And there there's some that I think the media takes a poll sees it, hits an article, runs with it, and tries to get a reaction and, and persuade opinion. And uh, I don't think those uh, those polls are necessarily uh, realistic as much, unless they've got some merit to them. Um, 
Well, let's, uh, as we close out, I want to switch gears just for a minute. Workforce development is a major, major issue across this country. And, and in your job as director of workforce at the, at the chamber there, um, what are you trying to do in, in Floyd County to kind of address the workforce development issues? I work day in and day out. Um, I think there's so many people across the state and across the country going through the same types of issues uh, with labor. I mean, right now here in Georgia, you look at it, for every uh, one unemployed Georgian right now, there are three job openings. So they can be selective in terms of where they want to work, uh, how they want to work. Um, the gig economy, or, or I like to even use the phrase the shadow economy, because there's several people out there that have multiple different part-time jobs and, and, and work to different hours and not just the typical nine to five. Um, that's out there and how do um, companies and businesses tailor to um, employees needs you know we have uh, you'll get fast food restaurants right now they're, they're paying 15 16 17 dollars an hour well I have a manufacturing company in my town that is paying 1450 so you know to an 18 year old that could go work at a, at a really good job and work his way up um, or he sees the more money at the hourly rate working at a, at a McDonald's, they're going to see that and go instantly. And you want to be able to build a, a workforce that's sustainable for, for the future. Um, you know, we work a lot uh, in, uh, we have a, we have a greater room existing industries association um, that exists. And I work a lot with them to kind of promote um, a harmonious environment for our manufacturing industry, um, provide programs, concepts, exchange of ideas. You know, when there was the chip shortage in our cars, um, supply chain shortages, a lot of these manufacturers were dealing with a lot of the, the same thing. So we have an organization here in Rome that works together um, and talks about programs. But this is all uh, the workforce related issues are tying into our education system, um, the K through 12 system. We have a great college and career academy system around the state of Georgia. Um, we have two college and career academies here in um, in Floyd County, one in Rome City Schools and one uh, for Floyd County Schools. And they have different pathways and career ways where you don't the the the, the typical you know you've got to have a college degree, four year degree to get a job is over with. Um, and even from job posting standpoints, uh, times have changed. Unless you're going to be CFO of a company, uh, you, you don't need to put much uh, on uh, a job posting because they just want people to show up and, and some qualifications. So I think this whole shift in higher ed, we're going to be, be seeing for years to come and what COVID's done. Uh, to learning as well, but we've always got to, and I know I'm rambling a little bit, but we've always got to look towards what the future workforce is going to look like and how do we solve problems now. I attended a, a regional meeting that was put on by the Department of Education and Department of Economic Development with business leaders, and the number one issue was the workforce development uh, issue, and we had uh, one of our guests in our third season um, was a lady that's the state director for um, career tech.
for Department of Education. And we also talked about the college and career academies. I'm very familiar with them and what a very impressive uh, uh, educational component they have become uh, and really being able to tailor it to the different pathways that that the community, the business community is looking for. So you're you're in a hot you're in a hot uh, area and you're in an area uh, of the business segment that is uh, got everybody's eyes on it. So you got to yes. get your hands full. You know, Northwest Georgia is growing. Funny you mentioned that um, my phone was ringing as I was speaking and it was actually the uh, the principal of the College and Career Academy. Oh, okay. We have a great relationship with them and and if they need us, they call us and, and vice versa. So we're always talking to our companies, um, to our school systems, to, uh, to city and county government as well to have a, a really good. I mean, at the end of the day, we got to grow jobs, attract talent, strength and quality of place. And you look at the amount of people moving in the state of Georgia. Georgia's the number one state to do business. Um, you, I don't know if you've been up uh, the 85 corridor near Hall County is booming. There's going to be another inland port built oh, yeah. up there. Oh, yeah. Uh, on our side of things in northwest Georgia, um, above 75, Bartow County, Gordon County, over into Floyd County. And what you're also seeing is a lot of what I call halfbacks um, starting to, to um, come around here in, uh, in Georgia, which are people that came from the north, moved to Florida. Florida got too crowded. Now they want to be in Georgia. So, Never heard that term before. Mm-hmm. But a lot of good things happening. Well, uh, look like you got the right guy handling the job, too. Well, Alex, listen, we're out of time now, and I just want to thank you so much for spending time with us today and, and sharing us sharing with us kind of an insider's view into the world of uh, political campaigning. And I know it was enlightening. I learned an awful lot, and I'm sure uh, our listeners did as well. So continued uh, success in your new gig there in Floyd County, and I'm sure you're going to make a a major impact in the workforce development uh, up there in in that Rome area. Absolutely, Jack. Well, I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, there's so much more to talk about, but I know we're out of time. Well, uh, it is. I'd like to go longer. Uh, well, as we wrap up another Knowledge Cast episode, a special thanks to each of you for, for making us part of your day. And I hope that you'll join us again next week for another interesting guest. And until then, make sure you make it your goal this week to be a positive influence in the lives of others.